Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and if you would, please open your Bibles uh, to the book of Acts. Continuing on in this series, Sent, uh, we're going to be wrapping up Acts chapter 8 uh, this morning. And I want to talk with us about the first short-term missions trip uh, that was ever really talked about in the Bible. And you're going to see a very familiar theme this morning, um, and that is the theme that God uses ordinary people to do his work. Now, we met this guy last week. His name was Philip. Uh, We know that he was just this ordinary Christian Jewish guy. He was not an apostle. He was not a church leader. He was not a pastor. He's, He's what we would call a layman in the Bible. This is Philip. And and Philip is going to bring the gospel to the first foreigner in the book of Acts. Now, we're going to see how the Spirit of God um, has been preparing not only Philip, but how he's been preparing this eunuch that's going to come up in the text. And then we're going to see how the Spirit of God brings these two people together. But before we get there, I just want to make a statement to us this morning. I I know we're missing a lot of our church family, vacationing, sickness, job, whatever it is. Um, But those who are here this morning, those who are watching online, those who will listen later, I believe, I believe as your pastor that God wants to use a lot of you to a much greater degree than what you're currently seeing in your life right now. I believe that. I believe that some of you have also never considered that God would want to use you to a greater capacity because maybe you have thought that evangelism and and discipleship was for the the elite, the, the special forces Christians, right? But that's not true. The 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 gospel and, and the way that we see in the Bible is that God wrote involvement into the Great Commission, into his most basic call to follow him. When Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, in the book of Matthew, it was a call to salvation and the commission into service for the Great Commission happening at the same moment in time. Uh, There is no gap, church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no gap between the call to follow Jesus and the call to engage in evangelism and discipleship. There's no space in between those two areas. I've found oftentimes in my life, I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian now for 28 years of my life. I've been in ministry for over a decade, and I've often found that God is like a spiritual cyclone. He never pulls you in without almost instantaneously hurling you back out from whatever it is that he just pulled you in from. And to take it even a step further, we often have evangelism and discipleship so messed up in our brains that we think, oh, well, that's for the pastor. That's for the church leader. That's for the missionary. That's that's for the people who go overseas. Well, I hate to burst your bubble this morning, but the word missionary never even appears in the Bible. Not, Not one time does the word missionary ever appear in the Bible. The phrase sent ones does. And that's used quite frequently, especially in the New Testament. And that that phrase, sent one, really describes any person who submits to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are to be sent, which is why I've had, I don't know, maybe a dozen people ask me over the last two years, why do you say that you are sent 
at the end of the service instead of just dismissing us uh, like, like most churches do. Well, that's the reason. We put the concept of sending into our service and we end every service with you are sent. And the point is, is that involvement in the gospel reach is something that you don't do later. It's not something that you graduate into later, but God put it in the very basic call to follow him from the moment of salvation. So the moment you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are being sent out to reach other people. You're being sent to connect the gospel to lost and and hurting souls. And with all of that being said, I want us to pick up where we left off last week in chapter 8. We left Philip in the middle of a revival in Samaria. Peter and John come onto the scene They've been called in to validate what's going on in Samaria. And so now it's time for Philip to move on. And I want to pick up in verse 26. And it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now stop there because I have to give you a little bit of context about about Gaza, about, about Philip's trip. Gaza was a little nasty, out-of-the-way town. It's dirty. Uh, I want you to to picture this with me for a moment. Um, Have you ever been on vacation and you had to drive, like anyone ever driven on vacation for, for a pretty far distance? Like more than an hour or two. Okay, right. Have you ever driven through one of those towns uh, on, your way to get, on, on your way to vacation and you pull up to this little town and there's a single gas station in this town? No, no lights. And if there are, it's maybe like a flashing yellow or a flashing red light and that's it, right? And there's a Hardee's and a nail salon and that's it. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The, these podunk little areas and then and suddenly without warning, you're driving 55 or 60 and then there's this teeny tiny little metal sign and all of a sudden the speed limit's 25 and you, you didn't see it right? And then there's this one massive billboard, and that's all in the entire town. And behind that billboard, there's nine cop cars. And it's the the entire police station is right there, and they want nothing more than to pull you over and write you a ticket because it will make their entire month. You, You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, not if you understand, right? They pull you over, and they start writing you a ticket, And you think to yourself, as you're looking around this small, dirty little town, like, who on earth lives in this place? Why do you want me to slow down here? Gaza was that kind of a place. And more than than just being a a little dirty, nasty little town, Gaza was also a town full of Philistines. So Gaza is, is this nasty, dirty little town filled with Philistines. The bottom line is that it's way out of the comfort zone of a Jewish man. Way out of the comfort zone. And it's very inconvenient for Philip to get there. Gaza is 165 miles on foot for Philip from where he's been ministering in Samaria. He had to walk a hundred and sixty, listen, we, we struggle walking from our car into the church building on Sunday mornings. The Spirit of God says, I want you to walk 165 miles, Philip. 
I want you to go 165 miles to meet with this person. Now look at verse 27. What? So he calls him to go and look, and it says, and he rose and went. There was an immediate response to the Holy Spirit by Philip. He was called to go, and he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now today, Ethiopia is a very small little country in Africa. In that day, Ethiopia was everything below the Nile River, meaning that it was huge and encapsulated much of what we know as Africa today. And this guy here that he meets was the treasurer of the entire region of Ethiopia, meaning that he was powerful. And for those of you who are sitting out there and you're like, well, what does the word eunuch mean? I hope you know. But the word eunuch was given to someone that had been castrated. Because if you're going to work in the palace with the queen, they did not want, they did not want you getting any frisky ideas. Okay, they didn't. And so they took care of that. And if you're in here and, and you're a, a teenager or a young adult and you have more questions about eunuchs or what happens, then I'm going to tell you to talk to your parents. And the rest of you, um, ask one of our board members. And they, they would be super happy to explain more in depth to you what a eunuch is uh, and why that occurred. But this eunuch came, this eunuch came to Jerusalem to worship. And for whatever reason, this man is curious about the God of the Jews. And they had a lot of religions where he came from in Ethiopia. They worshipped animals and the sun and the moon. And this guy had this sense that there had to be more than worshipping these things. There was something inside of him that told him that the sun and the animals were wonderful things, but they were not the source of everything. And this guy came because he wanted to learn about God. Now pick up with me in verse 28. And he says, and, and he was returning. So the man was returning and he was seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So stop right there. Does anyone in here know what a flannel graph is? Raise your hand if you know what a flannel graph is. Okay, so there's a number of you in here. So I grew up in a church I grew up in a church where they used flannel graphs in our Sunday school classes. And it was this board where they would take like these cut out felt pieces and they would stick them on the board to tell you a story, right? And so this, this eunuch is forever etched in my memory. The first time I heard the story of Philip and the eunuch, I was probably six or seven years old. And I, I, I'm, I'm forever etched in my memory is this man riding this little semicircle, half turtle shell looking thing, and he's riding along, and there's this guy beside him playing a ukulele. Don't know where the guy came from in the story, but that's what I remember from my childhood. And as we look at this, that's oftentimes what we think. We see the term chariot here, and we automatically assume Ben Hur. Right, And they're riding around on these chariots with these beautiful horses. Or we think of, of the Egyptians, Egyptians chasing the Israelites in the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Right, that, That's what we think. But that's not what's talked about here. 
This man was a man uh, of power. He, he was traveling over 1,200 miles to where he was going. He was not riding a little semicircle, half turtle shell chariot with a man playing a ukulele. He's not. He was carried uh, on the shoulders of four to eight men in a small contraption where he could completely lay down. These men were carrying him 1,200 miles because he wanted to learn about Jesus. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah. I mean, what better place to read in the Bible than the prophet Isaiah? So look with me now at verse 29. And it says, The Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join that chariot. How did the Spirit say this to Philip? The Bible doesn't really tell us. But one of the things that we find in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit speaks to people and every time that he speaks to them, he's moving them towards God's mission. Every time without fail. Here, he says, the Spirit speaks to Philip to go over to this eunuch. In Acts chapter 10, we will see that the Spirit tells Peter to go down and talk to these men and not to be afraid of them. In Acts chapter 13, we will see that the Holy Spirit speaks directly to the church and he says, separate for me Barnabas and Paul so I can use them for ministry. And so my first question to us this morning, believer, Follower of Jesus Christ in here, do you know and walk with the Spirit in that way? Do you know and walk with the Spirit? Are you aware of the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Are you aware? Because sometimes in Acts, he speaks and his speaking happens through a word of prophecy. Sometimes he speaks and it comes through someone in the church Sometimes it came through a divine vision, as we will see in a few chapters. Sometimes it seems to just be a divine yearning that God has placed inside of you. And so are you aware of where the Holy Spirit is speaking? Are you aware? When was the last time? When was the last time you had a sense inside of you? That he was sending you to a specific place. Or that he was calling you to do something or to speak with someone on his behalf. When was the last time you sensed that he put something inside of your heart to say to somebody else? Believer, are you even listening this morning? Are you listening? Because God never one time wanted you and I to do the Great Commission for Him. He wanted us to do the Great Commission with Him. With Him. Philip, go, go and join that chariot right over there. Go and, go and join it. And I want you to pick up now in verse 30 and see what happens. So Philip ran. Again, in the text, we see something immediate. There's a response immediately to what the Holy Spirit is asking. He ran and he heard this eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? 
And the prophet, I, the pro, or he, he says back, the eunuch says, well, how, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And so we should be sitting here this morning and we should see that in the midst of everything that is going on in Samaria, everything that's going on, the big crowds, lots of people coming to Jesus Christ, this huge revival that's going on, God called Philip to walk 165 miles down to a nasty little town called Gaza because he's been preparing one individual man. Just one. There was one man and that's it that was prepared. And as I read this text, I can't help but think if it were me, I would be confused. What do you mean, God? What do you mean you want me to travel 165 miles? You're using me right here in Samaria. You're using me right here and people are coming to know the Lord. Lives are being changed. People are being healed. What do you mean you want me to to go? Have you ever been there before? God brought something to your mind. I want to make sure those online can still hear. God, what, what are you doing? You ever been there? I don't, I don't see the big picture right now, God. Why, why do you want me to go and talk to that person? Why do you want me to go and pray with them? Why, why do you want to move me 1,500 miles away from what I'm used to? Why? Why on earth? And then we see something, a shift in the text that tells us exactly why he sent Philip. Pick up with me in verse 32. And he says, now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch says to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself? Is it about somebody else? And Philip opened his mouth. Don't miss this, church. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. We see the scripture that he was reading, yes, was from the prophet Isaiah, but it's specifically Isaiah chapter 53, specifically. And what Isaiah wrote about Jesus in that prophecy was written 800 years before Jesus was even born. 800 years ago, Isaiah had prophesied at this point in scripture saying that the Messiah would come and he would be like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. That he would be wrongfully accused of crimes that he never committed. And he would never even open his mouth. And all of that came true. Every single piece of it came true. And when Jesus stood before Pilate, he was accused of the most heinous crimes. Even though he had not done them. And he sat there silently. 
Silently he sat there. And we hear this about Jesus and we think to ourselves, why didn't Jesus open his mouth? Why? Why didn't Jesus defend himself? Well, let me ask this question. When you're being accused and you make no response, what are you conceding? Guilt. You're conceding guilt. Jesus stood in front of Pilate conceding guilt, but it was not his own. It was ours. It was our guilt. He stood there to take that guilt of every single person upon his sinless life. He stood there to say that I will be wounded for your transgressions. I will take your shame upon myself. I will be beaten and punished for you. Can I tell you the reason that this eunuch wanted to know if the prophet was talking about himself or about somebody else? You want to know why? If you continue on in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, you will come to find out that there was a sign outside of the outer court of the temple. And on that sign it said that no lame and no blind and no eunuchs may enter here. But then you, you come to this portion of scripture in Isaiah. And it's going to come to the screen for you. And Isaiah says, Let the eunuch no longer say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who embrace my covenant, I will give you in my house a name better than the sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The eunuch came to a portion of scripture that would tell him that in Christ he could enter in. He could be with Christ in the temple because of what Jesus did for him and for us. Now I want you to look with me at the rest of this chapter. Just a few verses. So after he shares the good news about Jesus, they were going along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went away on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as Otis, and he passed through, and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You want to know what's unique and interesting about this story? There's something that we know from history that's not recorded here in the text. Ancient Christian historian Eusebius tells us that this very eunuch and his band of servants went from this point and planted the first church in Africa. Right here. He went forward from this point and planted the first church in Africa. You're like, why is that important? Well, because there, before, before anywhere in the book of Acts, there was the white Western European converts in the text. We have a thriving church that's meeting in the capital of Africa. We have a, a black church, church. There's a thriving African-American church thriving in the text here before a white convert even comes onto the scene at all here in the text. Do you know that Africa 
Africa is one of two places in today's culture where the Christian church is growing the fastest. Africa, one of two places. And the point is that God used an ordinary man to bring the gospel to somebody else. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't, he wasn't the leader over a church ministry. He had no formal training. God prepared Philip and God prepared the eunuch and then he brought the two of them together. And the fact that this is an ordinary person is an indication to us of how the Holy Spirit will spread the gospel around the world. Now, I've explained to you before that one of the most curious things about the book of Acts is how Luke goes out of his way to show the gospel was spread around the world faster by ordinary people. We saw it at the beginning of this chapter. We see it again now on what I would call the first short-term missions trip, and it doesn't stop there. When we get to the end of Acts, we see that Paul arrives in Rome and he preaches to, uh, to Christians there. And it says that he's greeted by hospitable brothers. Meaning that there are already people there that are believers that have been there for quite some time before he even got there. And so I want to say this to you this morning. Many of you have jobs that could naturally put you next to some of the most unreached people here in our area naturally puts you there. Did you know that today most of the countries in the world in most need of the gospel presence are those that are in the greatest need of business development? Maybe God has given you a skill this morning so that you could take the gospel to places that he's not known. Maybe he gave you a skill that helps you to reach people right here in our community that would otherwise be unreached. What if God put a key in your hand for the nation, for the nations? What if God put a key in your hand for Ionia? What if? Because here at the well, we want to equip you so that when God's ready to take you, you can go. We also want to start sending people out to reach the lost. That's why every small group that's launching was asked to put together a service project that would intentionally put us in the same place as people who needed the gospel. Every single group. Philip didn't specifically go to Gaza because of business. He went there because the Spirit told him to go and he responded. And none of what I've been saying this morning was to try to make any of you feel guilty about how you maybe haven't shared the gospel with somebody in the last seven days, or the last two weeks, or the last month. Everything that was said to you this morning was to hopefully open your eyes. Statistically speaking, there are 1.46 billion people on this planet that have no access to the gospel. 1.46 billion There's an additional 3.06 billion people who have little to no access to the gospel in any way, shape, or form. And if you lined all of those people up 
In a single file line, they would circle the globe 25 times. If you go to China, there's one Christian for every 700,000 other religions that are followed. In China alone. And to put that even uh, into a more finite perspective, one that's local to us right here. In a 20 mile radius of where I stand right here on this platform. There are 129 churches and Christian organizations from right here. 20 mile radius. That means that there is one church for every 450 people. That means that there's only one paid Christian worker for every 300 people. And as I look at those numbers, not only am I in shock and awe, I think to myself, God, you can't be bad at math. You have an entire book called Numbers in the Bible. You can't be bad at math. But do you know where the real problem comes in? The real problem is that 5% of the population of the world lives right here in the United States. 5%. And yet 91% of all paid Christian workers and 95% of every dollar given in the name of Christ is spent right here in the U.S. 95%. That means that only 5% of all churches here in America is taking 5% of money and putting it back into missions in some way, shape, or form. That almost seems like a disgrace, doesn't it? I can't help but, but wonder how is it that we spend more money to groom our animals than we give to missions? And so my challenge is multifaceted as we close. My challenge to you is, would you consider taking a bold step this morning? Would you consider it? You're like, well, what's the bold step? Doesn't matter. Maybe you're in here this morning, and you have never given to missions here at the well. Maybe you never have. And maybe that's one of the big steps that you need to take. When I got here, um, I think the only support really that was going out uh, was a sponsor child through Compassion International, whom we still sponsor today. He's about to turn 15 years old in January. And so we have him for about two, a little over two years left before he's out of the program. But since we've been here, this, this church collectively, and I know there are a lot of people missing that have been a part of that process, we have since taken on supporting three different missionaries in, I would say, about 18 months or so, maybe a little, a little bit better than that. About 18 months, we, we've brought people in Actually, you know what? In November, we'll have supported the Hemerins for two years in November of this year. The Hemerins were a family that came through SMAT here in Ionia. And are, they were in Kenya. They, they've currently been shifted to Uganda. 
and that's where they're, they're using their training uh, to bring supplies in. We took on, do you guys know who Mark and Mindy Gertis is? He, he and um, she were pastors out at First Assembly for 17 years uh, before they went on to the mission field. And then just recently brought on another that we had the opportunity uh, to send here. And what I want to tell you this morning is a couple of things. Right outside of this room and straight to the wall, there is a map. And every month or so, we update that, that wall with newsletters specifically from those missionaries that we support in ways that they, we as a church body can pray for them. And so when you come and you're like, well, the pastor's just asking us for more money. No, I'm asking you to let God have the money that he blessed you with. So that this church can take that money and automatically filter it out into people who are, who are reaching unreached people groups around the globe. That's what we're asking. But even more than that, I'm asking you, are you committed enough to Jesus Christ to get out of your seat this morning, come to this altar, and get alone with God saying, I'm ready to go? Whatever that looks like. Maybe that's to reach somebody in Walmart or Aldi. Maybe that is to one day go on a short-term missions trip that we're hoping to do in the coming year. Maybe it's the call to step forward and say, God's really been calling me into ministry in some capacity. I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe he's calling you to pastor. Maybe he's calling you to do fill in the blank. Each one of you in here this morning has a step that the Holy Spirit already had laid upon you before I got to this point in the sermon. I know it. You want to know why I know that? Because that's the very heartbeat of God sending people out for the Great Commission. This isn't about having all of the right answers this morning. This is about having a willingness to explore God's calling in your life. I'm not going to make you feel guilty. I just want each one of us to have an urgency that the end is near and there are people still on their way to hell. There are people right here in Ionia on their way to hell. And, and we, we have the hope inside of us. And so whether you serve in your neighborhood or your city or another country, I, I know that we here at the well want to be a people who go. We here at the well want to be a people who share and serve in response to God's call upon our church. It may take time to plan. But commitment is what needs to start right here and right now. It's not about the qualifications or your level of comfort. It's about God's mission this morning. And so I'm going to ask you, you don't have to come tell me anything. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats here in, in just a moment when the music begins to play. And you getting out of your seat and coming forward this morning says, God, I want to be a part of a church that engages in the Great Commission. I want to be a part of a church that reaches the world locally and, and globally. 
I want to be a part of a church that carries the hope and the salvation of Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ wherever it is that I put my foot down. Doesn't doesn't the urgency of the gospel demand that of us? And so in just a moment, when that music plays, if, if you